Hello, and welcome to the World We Live In podcast, Midweek Current Events Edition. I'm your host, Eric Patterson. Hello and welcome. Great to have you here. This is a midweek show that I have been doing for a couple weeks now, or I should say a couple episodes, I think three episodes. Um, Just a little switch up from our Friday episodes that me and Kyle release, although this week Kyle will not be here. He is out of town, headed to Europe today. Hope he has a great trip. Um, He is headed to London and Rome, um, so that's going to be awesome. Super jealous, but we will get going. I had a little bit of a wild week last week. I was dog-sitting, and if you listen to the uh, main episode, um, or the main series that me and Kyle do, um, we have told this story, but... um, I was dog sitting from one of my friends, and we almost um, we almost lost her dog. Uh, <laughs> we were about to uh, take it for a walk, um, and we uh, opened the door too soon. Yep, classic mistake, right? So that happened, and it ran out, ran across the street, a fairly busy street. Um, thank God nothing happened, but we got it back. After about a half an hour of searching, it was cowering in the corner of someone's porch, a college student over by Belmont, and uh, she was kind enough to stay with the dog while Kyle actually got there first. He was running around around each block trying to find it. I was like on the other side of campus trying to find it, so we split up the work, but Kyle found it, and uh, the dog was a little frightened, but you know, we got it back, so all good there. A um, little bit of a scare, though, um, and I will have to say, I if you can hear some allergies, I apologize. I think having a dog in the house got to me, but if I sniffle every now and then, uh, apologize. I know that kind of kind of irks me every time someone does that, but you know, it's all good. Um, so get into things. Um, this week I have three. Um, fairly short little topics to cover, um, similar to the past weeks, um, they vary, um, this week we have, some of you may have seen this, um, to start out with, this is from earther.gizmodo.com, this house, um, down in Florida, where Hurricane Michael hit, it is, um, so this was on Mexico Beach, which, if you haven't seen pictures of Mexico Beach, in Florida, um, look it up real fast. I can post a link in the show notes, but it just, it absolutely got destroyed. It honestly, um, it looks like someone just dropped a bomb on this place. It is completely destroyed except for a few large structures. And there's this one house, um, called the sand palace. And, this house um, withstood these 150 mile per hour winds um, that most houses couldn't and that most houses got destroyed by. Um, but the owners um, built this house to be a fortress. So this house was built with the purpose of withstanding a hurricane of this magnitude. And the New York Times uh, broke the story of the house that was supposed to be a fortress, 
It says, according to Russell King, one of the owners, he, along with his uncle, LeBron Lackey, had built the Sand Palace to withstand this big one, in part because they accept the science of climate change and the risk of more intense hurricanes. It continues, but if their house is a monument to adaptation done right, it's also a reminder of how unprepared we as a society are for the climate change disasters of the future. And it's a reminder adapting to climate change is not something we can do at the individual level. So this article goes into um, basically how this house was built um, above what the standard is for houses in that area. So... CNN chronicled a few of the houses beyond code qualities that include being able to withstand 240 mile per hour winds. State building code apparently only says it has to be able to withstand 120 mile per hour winds. So, standing atop of 40 foot concrete concrete pilings to handle storm surge and concrete walls and rebar as well as steel girders, all that of course comes with a price tag. This is talking about the home. So, continuing on, the article talks about how um, the price of building these houses is above of what most people are able to afford living in that area. And it talks about how the government, which I agree... Um, they need to, they need to flip a switch. They need to click on that, like these areas like Houston, New Orleans, um, Florida, the Carolinas, those areas, if trends continue, are going to keep getting battered by hurricanes and it doesn't seem like people are moving out of those areas. So we need to figure out some way for individuals in that area to live there affordably, but still be protected. And, um, that, I guess that's really the ultimate, the ultimate challenge. Um, this article states our current government at the federal level, at least is actively failing on both client, sorry, on both climate mitigation and adaptation. At a time when more stringent regulations are needed, the Trump administration is rolling back as many as possible. Its efforts will destabilize the climate further, making the adaptation hill that much steeper to climb. Um, it, it seems to me, at least here in the States, that we are kind of putting things off um, as far as climate change um, is concerned. Um To me, it's not that tough of an issue in a sense that what it takes to recognize it. Like, even if you don't believe in climate change, there's no doubt that something is going on to where things are becoming different. And um, issues that we didn't have before are happening. I know Miami had to... um, Miami's been having to raise their raise their streets because at certain times and I watched a documentary on this back when I was in college last year but um, 
yeah, they're having to raise their streets um, because of uh, flooding. Um, and certain areas are, are more affluent areas. Um, this documentary was stating are getting their streets raised, but not so affluent areas are not getting the same treatment. Now that's definitely an issue, definitely an issue that needs to be dealt with, um, especially as far as cities are concerned. Um, but like I've stated before, um, people continue to live in those low lying areas and I know that I'm, I know Miami's a great city, tons of culture, New Orleans the same way, Houston the same way, um, Carolina's the same way, um, low lying areas, but, uh, I don't know, I don't know, they say, they say if trends continue, um, Within, I think it was like a hundred or so years, um, a lot of our cities that we recognize on low-lying coastal areas might not be there anymore. Might not be there anymore. So definitely, I would love to see um, government step up and take control of this. Um, I personally think I'm a huge proponent of states being in charge of this kind of stuff. Because um, each state is so unique. Um, the problems of Florida and their hurricane issues and the problems of a Midwest state are completely different. Um, and in that sense, I think the states need to take charge of doing that. Um, finding some way to combat these um Hurricanes that just seem to keep happening. Um, last year was a bad year. This year was a bad year. So maybe it'll wake people up. Um, but let's continue. And I would like to just end on that um, saying that if anyone was affected um, or anyone knows anyone that's affected, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to them. Hope everyone's safe. Um, hope everyone gets back on their feet. Um, the resilience of man is always something to be marveled at. Um People continually get knocked down day after day, but we always seem to get back up and go again. So, again, thoughts and prayers if anyone was affected, but I know and I hope that you will bounce back with the, with more resiliency than you had before. So we continue on to Europe, where Rembrandt, Rembrandt's painting of the Night Watch will be restored and you will be able to watch it. This comes from smithsonianmag.com. It says you'll be able to watch Rembrandt's most ambitious work be restored in person or online. Experts at the I believe it's Rijksmuseum or Rijksmuseum. I think it's Rijksmuseum. Estimate the process of conserving the night watch is expected to take several years. Now, I have a massive respect and admiration for artists of this time around Rembrandt's era. In fact, Rembrandt is one of my one of my most favorite um, artists to. Um, 
I guess you could say admire. Um, I love I love the the colors and just the overall uh, atmosphere that his paintings um, exhume and the just the way they present themselves. Um, the Night Watch is one one if not of his most famous works. Others include um, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Um, the Anatomy Lesson of Dr. Nicholas Tulp, The Jewish Bride, um, Syndics of the Draper's Guild, and some other ones. I'm just going down the list on Google. Um, Storm, The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, um, Aristotle with a Bust of Homer, and then... I mean, he has a ton. Uh, Polish writer, The Blinding of Samson. Um, there are some biblical elements in his paintings. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of classical art in general. I love the classics. Um, my keyboard is, you know, you can get those like little padded keyboards you just lay on top of of your max or whatever and mine is of starry night um so huge fan of the classics but this is very cool they are at this museum they are um well I'll just read a little tidbit from the article um it says the night watch is rembrandt's most ambitious and arguably arguably most important painting a monumental portrayal of amsterdam's civic guard the work was the first group portrait to depict its subjects in the middle of an action scene. And Rembrandt's masterful use of light is on full display. As Nina Segal reports from the New York Times, expert at the Ricks Museum, where the Night Watch is a star attraction, are now planning a large-scale, years-long restoration of Rembrandt's masterpiece, each step of which will be viewable in the gallery and online. So this painting has not been restored since 1976. Um, after <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but um, after a visitor hacked at it with a bread knife, defacing a seven-foot-wide section and successfully tearing off a piece of the canvas, um, conservators were able to patch the painting back together, but some areas where they worked have started to yellow. Additionally, a dog represented in the corner of the work has faded to a ghostly white for reasons that are not entirely clear that's kind of strange um so yeah they are um putting this on for people to watch um it's gonna cost it's gonna take several years and cost millions of dollars um before they start to restore the painting um they're gonna study it with high uh high resolution imaging techniques, um, high resolution photography, highly advanced computer analysis to get a better sense of its condition. Um, these cutting edge techniques, according to the museum, weren't available the last time the night's watch, the night watch was restored. And they say that the new investigation will help experts learn more about how the painting was created. Very cool stuff there. Um, this is a just a prime example of how technology is allowing us to restore artifacts of the past, um, and this uh, this is really awesome. This is really awesome. 
I've always found it amazing how we're able to do this, especially with these masterful works of art um, and how certain people, the actual restorers, are able to do so. I saw a video of, I can't remember what painting it was, but the woman was going through and touching things up and it was just painstakingly detailed. Um, so very cool stuff there. Um, so ending on that, they are, they are building, um, so let me go, let me step back. The restoration of the masterpiece is due to begin in July of next year. Um, they will be featuring a, or I should say the night watch will be featured in a major exhibition honoring the 350th anniversary of Rembrandt's death. Um, the museum's collection entails um, 22 paintings, 60 drawings, and 300 prints. Um, now, the Ricks Museum has opted to build a glass chamber around the painting in the Gallery of Honor, which was built especially to house the Night Watch, according to the Guardians' Kate Connolly as the conservators, as the conservators carry out work on the painting they will be on full view to the museum so that's how you'll be able to watch it if you're there um so very awesome love that <coughs> excuse me now to end on a little bit of a fun story um kind of just something that i came across honestly as i was scrolling through my news feed earlier Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich, some of you may have heard that name, um, owns the second largest yacht in the world and a customized airplane with a 30-person banquet hall. See how else he spends his fortune of at least $11 billion. This comes from Business Insider. Now, if anybody follows Premier League um, soccer... Um, English Premier League Soccer, they will know that Roman Abramovich is the owner of Chelsea. And he has been for, I think it's since 2003. I've been a little later than that. I can't exactly remember. I've only been watching Premier League since like 2008. So, there you go. Um, so, his net worth today... Um, Varies from 11.6 billion to 14.1 billion. Um, he, however, he peaked in 08, uh, peaked in high school. Abramovich peaked in 08 at tw at 23.5 billion, according to Forbes. So this man just has money to blow. He was once the richest man in Russia when his net worth peaked at 23.5 billion. Um, he became um, the owner of Chelsea in 2003. So, or I should say he acquired Chelsea in 2003. So I was correct on that. Um, this man just owns stuff everywhere, as you can possibly imagine. He has, as previously stated, a massive yacht. Um, he has a house in um, the French Riviera. 
He has, I think it said a house in St. Bart's in the Caribbean. Um, so where does he get his money? So Abramovich um, owns the largest share of Evraz, Russia's second biggest steelmaker. Um, <clears throat> he has sold a 26% stake of Russian airline company Aeroflot to the National Reserve Bank, and then he sold his uh, aluminum assets for more than $2 billion in 2003. Um, most of his vast fortune comes from proceeds from selling Russian state-owned assets after the fall of the Soviet Union. That's according to Bloomberg. Um, he also owns stakes in the world's largest refined nickel producer, Norilsk, Norilsk Nickel. Um, goes into some of his personal life, which I don't really care about, um, at least for this, <laughs> for the context of this episode. Um, yeah, he has a mansion on the red uh, on the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Um, that apparently was a summer retreat for the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Very cool. Um, there's a picture of the chateau in 1938, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Apparently, he spent 40 million renovating it, so it's probably even more gorgeous than it was back then. At least I'd hope so. Uh, so yeah. I just find the ultra-wealthy to be pretty wild. I remember when me and my dad were in Barcelona last summer, there was a um, ton of yachts sitting in the um, in the marina there while we were sipping on our wine, um, you know, as you do in Spain. <laughs> um, but just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so I'll end on just kind of his yacht business that he's got going on. Abramovich bought... A super yacht called the Polaris Pal- Pal- in 2004. It was the 11th largest yacht in the world at that time. Um, after that, he nearly spent 500 million on a super yacht called the Eclipse. At 533 feet long, the Eclipse was the world's largest yacht until it was overtaken by the Azam in 2003. Um, The Eclipse is said to have two helicopter pads, cabins to host 24 guests, two swimming pools, a disco hall, and a missile detection system. I, I feel like the missile detection system is a little extra. Um... But hey, who knows? (laughs) It reportedly requires 70 members of staff to operate it and cater to guests. Um, He apparently has owned three other yachts in his lifetime. Um, So yeah, there we're at. I feel like yachts are something that people don't think about. Um, At least initially, I feel like it's either cars or a private jet, but the yacht business is, uh, the yacht business is quite the place, quite the place. Um, he apparently has an aircraft that includes a banquet hall and seats 30 people, has a kitchen an office and a bedroom. Um, so he's living it up. Of course, he also has a, um, some private art collections as the ultra wealthy, 
I would assume. Just I'm just I'm judging here. I'm judging, but I would assume that eventually you're eventually you spend money on all the things you want to spend money on, and then you're like, oh maybe I'll do this, or you get encouraged to do something, and then all of a sudden you have a Rembrandt. All of a sudden you own a Rembrandt. I don't know. I'm just saying. I would own a Rembrandt if I had enough money. He'd be he'd probably be my first go to. I don't even know how that works. I don't even know if you can just buy a Rembrandt. I doubt it, but who knows. Um, anyway, I'm going to end there. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed little tidbits. Thank you for listening and catch us on our end of the week episode every week, um, that we do me and Kyle. Like I said, Kyle will be gone this week, so I will either be by myself or if it's sitting guest, I'm not sure what we're doing yet. Um, might bring back some past guests, um, that always help me out and their company is much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.